Religiously, naming is tied to the covenantal relationship we enjoy with God. Remember, Abram was renamed Abraham when God entered a covenantal relationship with him. The bestowing of a name in conjunction with the establishing of a covenant was, and can be for us, a sign of the new thing God is doing in and through us. That's the Reverend Monica Mannering, and today she shares an inspiring message of faith called God's Name for You. I'm Peter Wallace. It's day one. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now to introduce this week's preacher, here's our host, Peter Wallace. Thank you, Sherry. Today on Day One, we're honored to welcome the Reverend Monica Mannering, Rector of St. Martin in the Fields Episcopal Church in Atlanta, Georgia, where she has served since 2019. She previously served as Vicar of Church of the Common Ground in downtown Atlanta, and before that was Assistant Rector of Christ Episcopal Church in Coronado, California. Monica is a graduate of the University of California, Davis, and earned her Master of Divinity from Harvard University Divinity School. Monica, welcome to Day One, and Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you, Peter. St. Martin in the Fields is a vibrant parish in Atlanta. Introduce us to the people there and, and what you all are up to in your community. It's a community that is looking forward to its 75th anniversary wow. in just a few years ahead, and has long been faithful to the community around it. Early in the church's life, they established the mission that is the school, St. Mm -hmm. Martin's School, which has now grown to be a nursery through eighth grade for about 650 students and their families. The Souther Center for Christian Outreach is our primary mm. outreach, and we used to have a footprint uh, further into Shambly. Uh, the food pantry now operates on the church campus. Mm. And I would say that these two ministries, the school and the Souther Center, are the ways in which St. Martin's folk try to engage with the world. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the school. What are the school's distinctives? The school provides a wholehearted education. We think about not just the academic education we can provide, but you know, we grow as whole people, our hearts and our minds. And it's a school that intentionally goes just to eighth grade. That mm -hmm. was a decision by the board years before about really nurturing the young child. Mm -hmm. um, and we're told that the students that graduate from St. Martin's and head into many schools throughout Atlanta, public and private, are well prepared mm. academically, but also have been deeply impressed by their Episcopal education. Students are in chapel each week. Mm. Before you came to St. Martin in the Fields in 2019, you served as vicar of Church of the Common Ground in downtown Atlanta, a unique expression of church. Tell us about that. Church of the Common Ground has been worshiping at Woodruff Park outside. It's a church without walls. Mm -hmm. I always used to joke, rain or shine or snow or heat and humidity. <laughs> we would stand in Woodruff Park mm -hmm. on Sunday afternoons and worship and the other ministries through the week, Bible studies and fellowship time, uh, the opportunity to serve one another and to serve the population of those experiencing the injustice of homelessness 
downtown by washing feet or Mm -hmm. tending in other ways of care all happened outside. Mm -hmm. It's a remarkable ministry, and I'm so grateful for the Episcopal Diocese of Atlanta continuing to support uh, this ministry and mission. So, Monica, you're from Los Angeles, a place that truly formed you in many ways, I understand. Talk about how the setting there helped to create the person and priest you are now. Oh, I appreciate that good question. I'd say the place and the people in that place formed Mm. me deeply. My father, who passed just recently, was very much a part of my formation. Mm -hmm. My mother as well, uh, who nurtured me in an environment that was very diverse uh, ethnically and otherwise. What I appreciated about growing up in Los Angeles, a busy, buzzy city, and note, I I didn't know that there was a different way to grow up. (laughs) Many people who grew up in more rural environments, Mm -hmm. it just wasn't my context. So the busy and the buzz uh, seemed normative. There's something about California where there's Um, the power of possibility thinking. Mm. Um, I think when the sun shines year-round, there's an inherent optimism um, that helps Mm. me think about what's possible versus what's not possible. Um, I would say that the people were part of my formation in all their diversity and wonder. My father was a social worker Mm. in Los Angeles County, worked with foster care licensing, and the people we met through his work and the stories he told impressed upon me how broken this Mm -hmm. world is Mm -hmm. and also how many opportunities there are to seek uh, and experience redemption. Uh, That formed me as a priest. I'll say also that the waters of the Pacific Mm. Ocean (laughs) formed me spiritually. I'm a swimmer, and there is something about being able to pray in the wide, beautiful blue ocean that uh, gave me a, a real context for being centered. Speaking of swimming, you are likely the only Episcopal priest who was once a competitive, synchronized swimmer, which I think is so cool. Tell us about your experience. I got into synchronized swimming because some older girls at my school got into synchronized swimming, <laughs> and, a, and a friend said, come along. My mother wouldn't let me quit uh, a few weeks in when I thought I would drown doing <laughs> somersaults in the water with water going everywhere. A nose clip was a real godsend. Mm. It keeps the water from going <laughs> up your nose when you're upside down and legs up. I stuck with synchronized swimming for several years. I think that as a young girl, uh, I was a dancer and loved mm. to dance. Mm-hmm. But in the heat of Southern California, dancing in the water was the best of all possible uh-huh. worlds. It taught me about community, and I loved being a part of a team. There was a little element of performance and having all eyes upon yourself that perhaps prepared me for leadership roles where Mm -hmm. all eyes sometimes are on the preacher. That's true. You are married to the Reverend Simon Mannering, rector of All Saints Episcopal Church in Midtown Atlanta, who's preached on day one before. So how does that work with two rectors in the household? A, A lot of theological and pastoral discussions at the dinner table or no? (laughs) That's a great question. Uh, At times, yes, and at times, not. We certainly need to invest for our children's future with therapy. They say being a pastor's child will do something to you. We have three young children, and it makes for a robust conversation. I do so appreciate and respect my husband and his ministry, Mm -hmm. and we value one another's opinions, but we also try not to talk shop too much at home, Mm -hmm. and so uh, we'll bracket that. We maintain the highest of pastoral confidences, so there's not yeah. too much that we need to discuss in that regard. But we do wonder after the future of the church and God's goal yes. for us. 
So, Monica, how did you experience your calling to ministry? When I was a young girl, I used to stand on the playground of a public school in Los Angeles and Hmm. feel that God was speaking to me. I didn't have the language for that. I was baptized as a Catholic, but the deal was we had to be at the Methodist Church through the year and Hmm. at the Catholic Church on Christmas and Easter. (laughs) And somewhere along the way, I found myself hungry for God, but not sure the church was giving me all the vocabulary Mm -hmm. I needed Mm -hmm. for these experiences I would have as a, a little girl, a mystic on the playground. I leaned into that a bit, but it was early in my seventh grade year as a young teenager when my brother had a switch church to hang out with the Presbyterians. Mm. It was the youth group probably where his friends were going. Mm -hmm. And in that church, they had some language, some precision about their language for Jesus and his great love for me and for all people. And it resonated. Mm. And in my adolescence, I was given some opportunities to share that testimony, that good news about Jesus, about his love for all people. And the feedback uh, was immense. It was positive, And I was encouraged to consider this call. All the while, in 10th grade, we were asked to write that paper, you know, the one uh, that goes, this is what I'm going to do with my life, yeah. as if we know in 10th grade. <laughs> I sat down with missionaries uh, because I thought I would wanted to be a medical missionary. I wanted to be in Africa uh, as a surgeon, and <laughs> I had some wild ideas about that until I spent some time as a trained EMT and realized mm. the sight of blood makes me <laughs> ill. So the medical part sort of went away, but mm. the, the call to ministry uh, persisted, and it took some time for me to find my way to the Episcopal Church where I now plant my two feet. Uh. So this is the first Sunday after Christmas. Also, it's the Feast of the Holy Name of Jesus, and the world celebrates a new year. I'm wondering if you make resolutions, or do you have any other practices, spiritual or otherwise, (laughs) for this time of year? I'm terrible at making New Year's resolutions, (laughs) Peter. I do mention in my sermon that I would love to live into a new name in this year, Mm. I reference my daughter's middle name, Joyous, and Mm -hmm. I know that it takes a fair amount of discipline to live into a way of being that is full of joy. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of spiritual disciplines in my life uh, and and other disciplines. I like to swim daily. I like to Mm -hmm. keep myself healthy. I think that the context of the scripture that I preach on is the book of Numbers, and there's a whole lot of prescription about how we set ourselves apart, how we consecrate ourselves uh, to be holy for the Lord. And I do think that New Year's resolutions are a little bit like that for me. I'm, again, not great at making them on January 1. You know, the church's New Year begins Mm -hmm. on Advent 1, so we're already amidst that. But when I do think about calendar years and what I want to see happen in 2023 for myself personally— I do want to tend to my soul well and set some time apart uh, to be made holy, uh, to serve God. Again, this is really the context for the piece of Scripture that we hear today. We hear a blessing, but it's surrounded by so many instructions to the Nazarites about how we can be holy. Mm. And uh, is that a resolution, being Mm -hmm. holy, Peter? (laughs) I'd love I love that to be my New Year's resolution, to try. Yeah, amen to that. 
Your sermon today focuses on the Old Testament scripture for this Sunday from the book of Numbers, chapter 6. Would you read it for us? Sure. This is Numbers, chapter 6, verses 22 to 27. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the Israelites. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. So, Monica, as you prepared your sermon, what caught your spiritual attention in the passage? I love this blessing. I first wanted to cling to the blessing. Mm -hmm. The blessing is something I have heard set to song uh, and said to me and over me in worship spaces. It's something that I have used to bless others. And so I looked there, but this is the feast of the holy name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that last line, as I say in my sermon, so they shall put my name on the Israelites, struck me. I'm in holy awe Mm -hmm. about God's willingness to set God's name on us. I know we all have names, their names given. Some of us like them. Some of us change them. My father was Bobby, (laughs) and he changed it to Robert in his Mm. adulthood. He wanted, in his mind, a more mature name. I know that some people, when they go through a transition of gender or identity, might make a name change, and how important that is to live into a name that helps us grow into an identity that we want to have. I think about my favorite author, Macrina Whitaker. She wrote a book called A Tree Full of Angels. Mm. And she reflects on her own name, Macrina, which means little great one, right? Mm. Think macro, great. Mm -hmm. And that ending, Ina, which often is a diminutive, little great one. And how that's so true of all of us. I mean, we all can't be named Macrina. (laughs) But we are both little and great There's actually a song called Great and Small that I love. It's by a band called Butterfly Fish. Hmm. Uh, It was founded by a couple professors of mine who were adjunct at Harvard Divinity School when I was studying there. And the song's tune is very catchy. It's a children's song. And it talks about keeping a little piece of paper in one pocket that says you are great. Hmm. And some of us need to hear that. And in the other pocket, it's keeping a piece of paper that says you are small. Hmm. And some of us need to remember that the refrain goes, dust to dust we shall return. Whole wide world was made for us to learn that we are great and small. I think that God giving us God's name reminds me that we are great, made in the image of God, worthy of God's love. And we are small. (laughs) It's God's great name. Uh, We are just little ones of God's. So I'm hoping if there's back to that great question about the New Year's resolution, I'm hoping that in a year that might be full of joy for me, a joyous year, there's also the opportunity to be both great and small. Mm. Well, Monica, we look forward to hearing your sermon, God's Name for You. Thanks for sharing it with us. You're welcome. Glad to be with you.
Happy New Year! Blessed Christmas tide, we are amidst the twelve days of Christmas. Christmas is too great a mystery to be contained in one day, so we celebrate the gift of God come near as a babe in Bethlehem for twelve whole days. Just wait until we get to Easter, an even greater mystery. We get ready for it in a longer season of time in Lent. And we live in the Easter mystery for even more days, from Easter Sunday through to Pentecost. It's appropriate today, though, to still marvel at the incarnation, God dwelling among us. We think of the babe in a manger, and we are in awe that God sees fit to be with us as one of us. God is present. In and as the person of Jesus, not to judge us or to tell us how bad we are. Rather, God takes on our form, a high compliment to us, to remind us how good we are. And God can be like us, so that we can be like God. We are in our best moments, imitating the One who is interested in blessing and making us new and whole. No doubt, your Christmas customs, like my own, attempt to capture the glory and wonder of God's great movement in Christ's birth, Emmanuel, God with us. You likely have expended your energy through the season's festivities, gathering with family and friends, and merrymaking. By the time many of us get to today, to January first, we are worn and wearied. Or at the very least, tired from a late night greeting the new year, and many of us today will begin in earnest to honor New Year's resolutions to try to be better versions of ourselves. Today, in the church's tradition, we also celebrate the feast of the holy name of Jesus. The Gospel of Luke, in the context of the Nativity and the Shepherd's Visitation, recounts that. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. He was called Jesus. In our Greek New Testament, Jesus, the Hebrew Yehoshua or Yeshua, meaning Yahweh saves. Recall that the angel had said to Joseph of his virgin fiancee and her child, "She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Jesus's name accords with Jesus's purpose. Jesus will bring forth salvation for God's people. In the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, Scripture tells us, so much good has happened. Healing, and blessing, and transformation of people and of peoples, of communities, and in the name of Jesus, so many terrible things have been done: judgment, and persecution, and war, and injustice. My bishop Rob Wright, in tribute to the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu, said that for Tutu, Jesus was his center, not his border. Isn't that how it should be for all of us? Jesus at our core, Jesus at the center of our being, motivating our cry for justice, our call to mercy, our work, which for Tutu was toward the end of apartheid. 
The name of Jesus shouldn't be a border, a boundary, a line in the sand. The name of Jesus is not meant to divide and to delineate, but to welcome and to enfold. In the name of Jesus, for instance, my church is hosting a food pantry. In the name of Jesus, my diocese here in Atlanta is pursuing racial healing. Wouldn't it be remarkable if we could all say, in the name of Jesus, I am figuring out how to love my enemy? Or, in the name of Jesus, my neighbor is dialoguing with me across difference? In the name of Jesus, my nation is pursuing peace. The holy name of Jesus was assigned before Jesus' birth, but the gospel points out Jesus is not named until eight days after his birth when it was time for him to be circumcised. The Jewish custom of naming in accord with circumcision is practical and religious. Practically, At a time when infant and maternal mortality was very high, it made sense to delay naming, to be sure that the child would live. Religiously, naming is tied to the covenantal relationship we enjoy with God. Remember, Abram was renamed Abraham when God entered a covenantal relationship with him. The bestowing of a name in conjunction with the establishing of a covenant was and can be for us a sign of the new thing God is doing in and through us. We are changed by our covenantal relationship with God. Here, at the beginning of a new year, many of us might benefit from a new name. A new name can help us redefine who we are or hope to be. Though my name is Monica, which I've always been told means wise one, I envy my daughter's middle name, Joyous, because that is an identity I would like to try on in this new year, one who is full of joy. To give you an example of new names you might imagine for yourself, I want to share the words of a song I sang in my youth, entitled, I Will Change Your Name. The lyrics are meant to be the words of the Lord speaking to us. I will change your name. You shall no longer be called wounded, outcast, lonely, or afraid. I will change your name. Your new name shall be confidence, joyfulness, overcoming one, faithfulness, friend of God, one who seeks my face. Biblical name changes remind us that the Lord would sometimes discern that people do need a name change, and with it the opportunity afforded to live into a new identity. Sarai becomes Sarah at the Annunciation when she is called upon to bear God's covenantal people in her old age. Jacob becomes Israel after wrestling with God and being transformed. Simon takes on the new name Peter when he's commissioned to be the rock upon which the church is built. In our reading from Numbers, we hear a beautiful blessing that Moses is supposed to instruct Aaron, the priest, and his sons to pass along to the people. The context is in a section of Numbers describing how the Hebrew people should prepare to leave Mount Sinai and continue their journey through the wilderness to the promised land. 
the blessing, is to be repeated throughout what becomes a very difficult and incredibly long journey. The blessing is beautiful poetry, but it is both preceded and followed by more basic specifications about consecration. Some scholars would say this is by design, and that the blessing itself is meant to be a sort of pronouncement of consecration, reminding people that they are set apart and made holy. From Numbers The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the Israelites. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. It's a remarkable blessing. The Lord, Yahweh, is active in blessing and keeping and being gracious and giving peace, giving shalom. The you of the Lord bless you and keep you is singular. It's as if every one of the Hebrew people and every one of us now should hear the personal and intimate nature of this blessing. The Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. But did you also hear the conclusion of this beautiful blessing? So they shall put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. God puts the Lord's name on the Israelites, on God's people, God puts God's name on us. God has already imprinted God's image on us. We also receive God's name. We can wear this name and let it define us. We can wear this name and let others see. Though our language is often inadequate for God and for our relationship with God, I can imagine a few words or phrases we might claim as our new name as people who are blessed by God and receive God's name. Beloved, child of God, redeemed, one who seeks God's face, blessed. I imagine you are thinking of many more synonyms, and I hope the Holy Spirit might be whispering the word or words that are yours to claim and to live into with hope in this new year. What is God's name for you? Some of us so long have carried the burden of names like not good enough, lost, complicated one, alone. Hear me. Hear the scriptures. God is in the business of changing names. The Lord is giving you a new name. God has a name for you. Claim it. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. You've been listening to the Reverend Monica Mannering, Rector of St. Martin in the Fields Episcopal Church in Atlanta, Georgia. For a free transcript of her message today, God's Name for You, call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day 1, 
2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia 30305. And keep in mind that Day One depends on the generous donations of our faithful listeners. I'm Peter Wallace, sending you our prayers and best wishes for a happy and holy new year. And next week on Day One, we're honored to have with us the Reverend Dr. Charles Qualls, Senior Pastor of Franklin Baptist Church in Franklin, Virginia. As the church celebrates the baptism of the Lord, don't miss his powerful message. That's next time on Day One. Our Day One preacher, Monica Mannering, shares some final reflections on her sermon today, God's Name for You. And Monica, thank you for this hope-filled message to start our new year. You began by marveling at the incarnation, God's dwelling among us in Jesus, not to judge us, but to remind us how good and how loved we are. Would you say more about how we can better live into this understanding of incarnation, God taking on our human form. Yeah, here we are marveling at Christmas. Hmm. God comes to us because God likes to be with us. Hmm. I just can't get enough of that. Hmm. (laughs) Marveling at the incarnation is one way to simply be appreciative of Hmm. such a beautiful reality that God likes to be near to us. And then paying attention to Mm -hmm. God's nearness is one way to continue to live into the Incarnation. Well, this Sunday is the Feast of the Holy Name of Jesus. Eight days after his birth, he was named Jesus, meaning Yahweh saves. And you quoted Bishop Rob Wright speaking about Desmond Tutu, that Jesus was his center, not his border. Jesus at our core, motivating our cry for justice, our call to mercy. The name of Jesus is not meant to divide and delineate, you said, but to welcome and enfold. And so in the name of Jesus, we reach out to the world in healing and hope. This is so powerful, and I wonder if you would help us understand how living with Jesus at our core can influence our interactions with others in our everyday life. Yes, some of us will cringe when we hear, in the name of Jesus, (laughs) because there have been many atrocities done Mm -hmm. in the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And if we are to live in the name of Jesus, Jesus needs to be at our core. There's Mm. got to be a devotional practice that takes seriously a man who loved people and loved people across differences and beyond boundaries. True devotional practices don't just make us feel warm and fuzzy inside. Jesus is at my center, and I go out in the world and in the name of Jesus, uh, judge people Mm. or triumph over them. Mm. No, a true devotional practice that nurtures love for Jesus and receiving Jesus's love at our center makes us people who go out into the world, as I said in the sermon, without borders and boundaries. Mm. That love is porous. It goes far beyond those Christians, those who claim that love for themselves, but for those with great need who might think differently or believe differently or have a different faith. Jesus' love is boundless. Mm. 
Here at the beginning of the new year, you said many of us might benefit from a new name that can help us redefine who we are or hope to be, and you challenged us to accept the blessing from numbers that we bear God's name. Some of us, you said, have long carried the burden of names like not good enough, lost, complicated one, alone. But God has a new name for us. How do we go about opening ourselves to this new name? One of the ways is by stilling ourselves and being quiet long enough to know what that new name needs to be. I'm Mm -hmm. suspicious many of us have a hunch. (laughs) But centering prayer has been a great gift to me and a practice that might bear the fruit of a new name. There are probably many resources you have access to to learn about centering prayer, to be guided in a meditation, but there's no wrong way to do it. And in essence, stilling yourself for a few minutes to be quiet and to ask God, Mm. invite God to share a word or words, a phrase maybe, along these lines of a new name or claiming a new identity or identity you hope to live into for the year ahead. And then be quiet long enough to hear. It usually just takes a few minutes. And then the practice in Centering Prayer would be to offer back that name Mm. to God and and hone in on, is this right? It's a little bit like fact-checking with God. (laughs) God, did I hear you okay? (laughs) You might not stumble upon the name right away, and that name might change. Names do change, I said in my sermon. But this is an invitation to move beyond not good enough, as you said, and to beloved child of God. Monica, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will carry with them in the year ahead? Here, as we still all have our Christmas decorations (laughs) up, I imagine, God has come near and God continues to come near. God will call upon your name. Perhaps God will call upon your name to do good in this world, or to assure you of God's healing and God's love for you. I hope you hear that. Monica Mannering, thank you for being with us. Thank you for the opportunity. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on Day One and forever.